right, good morning. I'm Monica Romig, and this is Elijah Romig, and we'll be reading from Song of Songs, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Listen, my beloved. Look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke to me and said, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. And this isn't part of the scripture reading officially, but I have to add it because it feels so appropriate. See, the winter is past. <laughs> the rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. Maybe that's just me being hopeful. Uh, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Enjoyed that. Well, we have today's sermon on ballet, and those of you that are especially eagle-eyed might have noticed that I actually switched out the artwork mid-service. Uh, Monica has quite a few pieces of artwork on ballet, and so I wanted to show a couple of those off. Uh, both of them are Edgar Degas, Edgar Degas, so uh, just beautiful pieces. But I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get started uh, talking a little bit about ballet and the Bible. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for dance. Thank you for ballet. Thank you for the arts. Thank you for beauty, and thank you for moms. Uh, we pray that all of our moms would be blessed, that we'd all be blessed by your word, uh, by the arts, Lord, uh, by dance and by beauty, by, by, and by ballet. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I want to talk to you uh, about a, a ballet a ballet I saw recently. I watched it uh, in preparation for this sermon, and that's the ballet Giselle. Uh, maybe you've seen Giselle, maybe you haven't, uh, but it's a love story. It's a love story between a young, frail maiden and a nobleman, a count. Now, Giselle lives in a small little village with her mom and the village people, uh, but one day, uh, the count comes to the village, and the villagers are preparing for the wine festival, uh, but he kind of comes in and makes his way into the village, and he disguises himself. So you can see this picture of him and Giselle, Count Albrecht. Uh, so it's Count Albrecht, and he comes and into the city and is going to win Giselle's heart. But there's another man, there's a huntsman named Hilarion, uh, who's jealous. He's jealous of Albrecht and uh, wants to separate them and is suspicious of Albrecht. Who is this man who has come into our village, who is trying to win the heart of the one that I love? So there's the Giselle, there's the Count, and there's the Huntsman. And so Hilarion, the Huntsman, grows suspicion, begins to investigate. Now there's a harvest festival. Uh, it's this beautiful festival of dancing and celebration. Uh, and Giselle's mother, though, as Giselle begins to dance, warns her that she must not uh, overexert herself as she dances because if she dies of a broken heart and she already has a weak and frail heart, in death she will be transformed into a Willis. A Willis is a restless and vengeful spirit that haunts men in the forest late at night. And her mother warns her to not overexert herself because she might die and perish. Now there's a party and the local prince comes, and the prince brings uh, his daughter, and they come waltzing in. They come, they come walking in, and Count Elbrecht kind of notices that they show up, and he decides, well, I better get out of here. And so he 
he goes away and he kind of removes himself from the scene. And Giselle it, it talks with the princess and she's dancing and the princess actually gives her a necklace, uh, gives her a necklace uh, uh, celebrating uh, Giselle's engagement because she is now engaged to Prince, uh, to the Count, Count Albrecht. But the celebration is ruined when the huntsman Hilarion and Prince and the Count get into a fight. They get into like this kind of duel and all is exposed that the Count was actually this deceitful man who was hiding himself uh, and trying to win the heart of Giselle and it all comes crashing down and, and the Count was actually already engaged to the Prince's daughter, the Princess, and, and so it's just a disaster. And Giselle is torn apart. She is torn apart and her mind escapes her and her heart fails and she dies. She succumbs to brokenness, death, and despair. Act one of the ballet ends in Giselle's death. The dance has come to an end and it has not ended in joy for any of them. The Bible story is also a love story. It's a kind of dance. It's not so different from the ballet Giselle. It kind of starts with a cosmic dance as the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is soaring over the waters. The, the cosmic dance, Genesis, it opens with God soaring over the waters, dancing. God beckons the world and beauty into being, and he places the very best of humankind on the dance floor <laughs> in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve. They're supposed to keep it, to guard it, to watch over it. God was with them. He was the lover and they were the beloved. But we broke the dance. Adam and Eve sinned and all of us and them fell into sin and brokenness and despair. See, we danced with the devil instead of our creator. And like a leaping dancer who falls and tears their tendon, we fell too. So the question then is, what will happen in act two? There's, there's a first act and a second act in, ba in ballet and in Giselle. And so like Giselle and, and the Count Albrecht, will we dance again? Will we return uh, to something new and to something better? Will God bring us out of our brokenness and our death and our despair in this fallen and hurting, hurting world? What will happen in act two? See, though we never... So even though we fell, God never stopped dancing. He invites us to come and dance the dance of redemption with him. See, our Redeemer invites us to come and dance. Our Redeemer invites us to come and dance. Yes, he actually he beckons us to enter into relationship with him. See, our relationship with God is like a dance. In a dance, there's someone who leads and there's someone who follows. And God is extending his hand to us and saying, come, take my hand, come and follow me. I can restore what was lost. I can bring us back to that dance floor, to the beauty and, and goodness of Eden. And so the question is, will we let God lead us or will we dance to our own tune? The Song of Songs is a poetic dance, a love kind of uh, relationship, a, a song between a husband and a wife, a bride and a groom. And together they are discovering the rhythm and beauty of love and marriage. And in this story, the, the, the groom comes for his bride 
And we just read that in Song of Songs 2, 8 through uh, 10, the groom comes kind of leaping and, and, and uh, dancing. And it's almost like he's, he's soaring as he comes to his wife, to his bride. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. So here's the story in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the, the relationship God has with the nation of Israel is described as marriage. And so this picture that we see in Song of Songs is, is, is like a picture of God's relationship with his people. But Israel, if you were to read the story of the Old Testament, Israel time and time again resists. God extends his hand. Israel takes it for a moment, then wanders off to do their own thing, to dance to their own tune. And yet, tune, and yet God extends his hand over and over and over again. Then we see the story develop. The, the, the rhythm continues. The dance continues in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we, we learn that marriage actually is a, a human picture uh, it's a it's kind of a dance rehearsal, if you will, of a much greater performance. Uh, marriage between a man and a woman, uh, human marriage, is like a, a, a shadow of a much greater dance. The relationship Jesus has with his bride. Now, his bride is the church. The church is the gathering of believers from all times and all places. And we see little churches here and there. The cornerstone is one of them. We're the bride of Christ. And so the relationship we find uh, is a very intimate relationship between God and his people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And yet, what do we do even in our own lives? As churches today, well, what do we do? We, we resist. <laughs> I'm going to dance my way. I'm not going to dance God's way. I'm not going to follow him. I'm going to do things in my own life, my own way, because I want to lead. See, we have the best dance partner in the universe and we still want to lead at cost to our own beauty, to our own sanctification, to our own growth. Classical ballet is this beautiful form of art. It's uh, distinct. It's precise. Uh, when I was showing Monica some ballet pictures, she was like, oh, look at how beautiful the lines are, like the, the way that people align themselves. It is this light yet graceful, uh, uh, almost frail but strong form of art. They call ballet poetry in motion. I love that, poetry in motion. A ballerina can perform great feats alone. You see these two uh, photos of ballerinas, uh, teenagers, and they're amazing. They're elegant, they're beautiful. They're uh, performing these great feats. Now, I don't know a lot about ballet, but what I'm learning is that a, a ballerina by herself is beautiful and wonderful, but a man and a woman together can perform even greater feats. That they can create something uh, of beauty that they can't create on their own. They take the elegance and the beauty to another level. The marriage author, Gary Thomas, he writes of ballet dancing in his book, Cherish. He says, famed Russian-born ballet choreographer, George Balanchine, once said, ballet is woman. Ballet is woman. The best male dancers recognize that their role is all about showcasing the female dancer's beauty. 
particularly during pas de dos, or couples dancing. People generally go to the ballet to see the ballerina, to see the beautiful form, grace, balance, coordination, and strength of the female lead. But all of those qualities are even better showcased when the ballerina has a male dancer who can set her up, catch her, and support her. As a former male dancer and later choreographer, Balanchine said his job was to make the beautiful more beautiful. To make the beautiful more beautiful. That's what we're supposed to do as husbands, but it's uh, for our wives, but it's even more amazing that God is doing that for us. God is taking something that is beautiful and making it even more beautiful. See, we can dance alone. We can dance by ourselves. We can create something that is beautiful and is valuable. But as human beings, when we enter into a relationship with God, He begins to lead us and begins to change us and transform us and to create something that's even more amazing. It's even more good. And that's how it's really supposed to be with God leading us forward to create an eternal work of art. Our Redeemer invites us to come and dance. So the question is, will you accept the invitation? Will you take his hand? Will you enter into relationship with him? He wants to redeem you. What does that mean, redeem? That's this very like religious word. Redeem means God wants to set your relationship with him right. He wants to, to, to deal with that initial brokenness that we created in the Garden of Eden that all of humankind entered into, the separation, this brokenness between us and God. God's dancing the dance because he wants to restore us. He wants to, to make things right. So the question is, will you dance the dance of redemption with him? Will you let him redeem you, your heart, your life, your soul, everything you're going through? Will you let him begin to set his relationship right with you? But maybe you're not ready. You're asking, well, what type of dance is this? Is this a happy dance? <laughs> is this a sad dance? Is this a tragic dance or a joyful dance? Not all ballets are, are happy. You can express sorrow in ballet. You can express joy in ballet. You can express uh, uh, fright. You can express all sorts of things. Are we dancing this relationship with God? Is it the tango? Is it swing, hip-hop, blues, or ballet? What is it? We're all asking the same question. What is relationship with God supposed to be like? How will the story go? And so I want to talk a little bit about our relationship with God and how dance helps us understand our relationship with God. See, as we look at the Bible and we look at dance throughout the Bible, we actually see that our relationship with God uh, encompasses three different things. See, the dance of redemption is tragic yet joyful. It humbles yet exalts and it wounds yet redeems. The dance of redemption is tragic yet joyful. This is a picture of Miriam at the Song of the Sea, and we're going to come back to that in just a moment. See, our relationship with God is, is bitter yet sweet. In the Old Testament, the women would dance for the men as they came home from victory uh, in battle. And we actually see that in the story of Japheth. Women would dance. But I imagine that even as there's a celebration, like the men are coming home from battle, we're, we're happy, we're excited, we're dancing, but I imagine not all the men came home. And that there were tears mixed with those shouts of joy, that there was sorrow mixed with happiness. And that's a picture of our relationship with God in this life. The dance God dances with us often starts with sorrow. Or sprinkled with sorrow and grief throughout. Maybe you've experienced some of that grief recently because you've lost a loved one or you've experienced loss in your own life. 
God can use those things and turn them into joy. God can redeem those things, set them right again, bring about happiness even in sorrow. The book of Ecclesiastes is this incredible cynical book, but it does say that there's a time for sadness and there's a time for mourning, but there's also a time for joy and for dance. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 and 4 say, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. See, dance in the Old Testament is often the cure for sadness. It's the cure for sadness. The psalmist David, the, the best king of Israel, the most famous king of Israel, he wrote a song of celebration. Uh, he wrote the song of celebration, this, this psalm for the dedication of the temple. But if you know the story of David, you know that God said, David, you're not going to see the, the dedication of the temple. You're not going to be the one who builds my temple. It's going to be your son. So it's amazing that, that David composed this psalm for the day that the temple was completed. Uh, it must have been a both sad psalm to write because he wasn't going to get to experience it, but also a joyful psalm to write because he was looking forward to that day when, when the temple where the people could worship God would be complete. And we find in this psalm, Psalm chapter 30, which Alan read earlier, uh, uh, the call to dance. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. See, dance is a way to express joy, but dance is both a result of joy and can produce joy. Dance in itself can lift your spirits. It's a way that we can thank God for sorrow. God can turn our sorrow into joy. Maybe some of you are like, I don't really like to dance. Maybe God wants to redeem even dancing in your own life. See, when we dance, when we dance to kind of turn our sorrow into joy, when we see how God is taking instances in our life, or, or even if we just like look at something through the lens of dance, and we see how God is redeeming things, we're echoing a greater story. We're echoing the story of our creator God come to rescue and redeem us. The dance of redemption. I want to talk a little bit more about the, the broad story of the nation of Israel. See, when God led Israel out of captivity in Egypt, the people, uh, uh, before they were let out, that night that they were let out, they celebrated the first Passover. So maybe you've heard of this, uh, this Jewish holiday uh, that comes from the Bible. The Passover is a meal meant to remind the people of their deliverance from bondage. Erdman's, it's a Bible dictionary, it says, this, it says the Hebrew verb pasah uh, means to perform a limping dance. Pasah means to perform a limping dance, and it's the root of pasach, or Passover. So the, the root of the word for Passover means to perform a limping dance dance. See, when the people came out of 400 years of captivity and slavery and bondage in Egypt, they probably were limping because they had experienced all that hardship, all that sadness, all that grief. But they were coming out of that. They were probably dancing and excited and there was like an extra spring in their step. God is delivering us. God is taking us out of captivity and is going to give us a new home. So Passover became this celebration, this limping dance. Maybe that describes where you are in your life right now. That you're limping. 
you're wanting to dance, but you're limping, or maybe you are dancing already, but you're limping from something that you went through. See, we limp when, when God takes those we love. But our hearts dance when we know that those people are with Christ through faith in Him. We limp when hard things happen and God doesn't explain why. But we dance because we know God is still good. We limp today, but we will dance tomorrow because Jesus loves us. And He's going to redeem whatever we're going through today and, and make it into something of eternal worth. Man, we're going to look back on this life, these hardships, and we're going to dance. <laughs> Even those of us, when, when we're finally entered into Christ's presence, when either Christ returns or, or, or we pass, we're ushered into his presence, it's going to be a dance party. We're going to be able to look back with just a completely different understanding of our entire lives and how God was using it and leading us and dancing with us and redeeming us in our experiences. You have turned my morning into dancing. Now after Passover, the people of Israel, God rescues them from Pharaoh, uh, but he does it by the Red Sea crossing. And so God splits open the waves and the people of Israel cross over on dry land across the Red Sea. And then when Pharaoh and his armies try to follow through, God brings down the waves, crushing Pharaoh and his armies. And so Miriam stands singing on the far side of the sea. She begins to dance and sing praises to God with some of the women. It's a victory dance. God has gone to battle and God has won. And so now the women dance and praise and exalt God. Exodus chapter 15 verses 20 through 21 say this, Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang to them. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. So we praise God when our dance with him is easy and when it is hard. When life makes sense and when it stings. This is what we do. We praise God and we try to stand at the, at the side of the shore and say, God, you are good. You're going to take care of this. You're going to deliver me when my back is against the sea. You're going to open up a way forward. This dance is tragic, but it's also joyful because you use those hard moments for good. And we see that expressed in ballet beautifully. It's ballet Swan Lake and Romeo and Juliet, they express emotions that are both happy and sad in ways that our words fail. There are many Bible stories, and I, I have not, so I, I've seen the Nutcracker, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, hopefully, more ballets. There are so many ballets uh, that, uh, that, that show like the stories in the Bible and illustrate them. Uh, many of the Bible stories have been composed and put into ballets. So we have uh, Jean Borlin's La Creation des Mondes. George Balanchine's, he's, he wrote Noah and the Flood and the Prodigal Son. Vaslav Nijinsky's The Legend of Joseph. Nanette de Valois's, she wrote a, uh, uh, wrote a uh, uh, ballet on Job. Martha Graham wrote Herodia and Kenneth Macmillan, The Judas Tree. There's all these ballets that have been composed and choreographed uh, by these amazing artists 
looking at this theme of the Bible, I think when we when we stop and we go and we look at art and we kind of take ourselves away, uh, even from the Bible for a moment, and we look outside and we see these things, these these acts of creation, it actually gives us a new way to come and then look at the Bible with fresh eyes. To see new things, to see dance and how it, it, it's sprinkled throughout the scriptures. And maybe we would have never noticed that unless we had taken the time to stop and to reflect and to open our eyes and to appreciate. And so we see these Bible stories, what are they doing? They're telling a greater story. They're telling the dance of redemption. Our Redeemer invites us to come and dance the dance of redemption, which is tragic yet joyful. But it also humbles yet exalts. The dance of redemption humbles yet exalts. God dips us low before lifting us up, just like in dance. He has done it time and time again with those who love him. He humbles us and then he exalts us. When King David was king over Israel, he decided to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. The Ark is this golden chest uh, uh, where the tablets resided uh, uh, and, and manna and God's presence was there. God's presence was kind of said to like uh, be over the Ark like a, like a throne or a, uh, maybe even a footstool, but God's presence was there over the Ark. And as they were leading this ark back to Jerusalem, uh, King David is leading the processional. And what is he doing? He is dancing, and he is dancing with everything he has. 2 Samuel 6, 14 says, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. He was like going crazy. He was, he was dancing, and, and it must have been this wild scene. And his wife was not impressed. 2 Samuel 6, 16 says, As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. It sounds like ballet. And she despised him in her heart. And then Michael, she, she confronts David about the impropriety of his dancing. And what does David say? He says, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. See, there is something um, humbling about dance. It's deeply humbling. There is this loss of dignity for the sake of beauty. This loss of dignity for the sake of beauty. And as part of the Akingay program, we got to um, interview, well, we didn't really interview, one of our, our, our leaders interviewed uh, our, our guest speaker interviewed a professional ballerina, Corinna Gill, uh, and uh, she just was sharing from her heart, and we were asking her some questions, but one of the, her quotes really stuck out to me. Uh, she danced for Boston Ballet. She said, vulnerability and suffering goes into art. Vulnerability and suffering goes into art. This is a, a, a beautiful uh, picture of her performing ballet. It is that vulnerability and suffering that creates beauty. It's that lowering ourselves that then acts as an offering of worship before the Lord. See, God makes much uh, of himself through us as we lower ourselves and make much of him. And I think dance is a way that we can worship God. 
and say, I'm going to look perhaps a little foolish at times in order to praise God. And we don't have to do that with just dance. There's other ways where we can say, you know what? I don't have to look best as I, as I talk about God with this person. I'm just going to share. I'm just going to lay my life down low so that God can be exalted, so that he can be praised. I'm going to live my life like a dance. I'm going to worship God at cost to my own pride. See, we lay our whole life down, and when God desires, he lifts us up. And he lifts us up higher than we can ever imagine. Something that I learned recently that really just caught my imagination and I had never thought about before, never realized about the Bible, is that Eden was on a mountaintop. Now, when I think of the Garden of Eden, the paradise, I don't think mountaintop. I think like jungle, forest, beautiful, nice garden, right? But it probably was a a beautiful, nice garden, but it was on a mountaintop. We actually see this in Ezekiel chapter 28. I don't have the scripture there, but you can look up Ezekiel 28 verses 13 through 14. In Isaiah, if we look at Isaiah 6, it tells us that one day God is going to reestablish his eternal city on a mountaintop. Well, people will flow up to it. And we know that there's going to be this new heavens and this new earth that kind of come together at a mountain top. And so all throughout scripture, there's this beautiful imagery of like heaven touching earth on mountain tops. And I think that's what often led the people into idolatry and worship of false gods and the high places. But they were getting it wrong. They had some things right. God kind of symbolically had this Garden of Eden on the mountain top, but then they they changed changed it and, and did what they weren't supposed to do. The temple is in Jerusalem, which was on a mountain top, a place of exaltation, a high peak. And then if you read through the story of Scripture, we see these places where where like we're we're for we're kind of tasting that relationship that is to come on a mountaintop, that mountaintop relationship. See, God promises that one day we're going we're gonna to be restored to that new heavens, that new earth, that new Jerusalem, that Zion that's on a mountaintop where we're going to live and dwell and fellowship with God. And I think we get to taste little glimpses of that in our own lives. We call them mountaintop experiences with our relationship with God, but then we see that actually in Scripture. Song of Songs 2, 8 through 10 says, The beloved comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. And in the the face, there's this prophet named Habakkuk. In the face of intense hardship and despair, he says of his relationship with God, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. I think when you return to Scripture, I hope that as you study your Bible, you're going to start to notice all these mountain peaks and these these places where where God is is interacting with us and encouraging us and lifting our spirits. But right now, you might not be on a mountaintop. You might not be sensing God's presence, experiencing God's joys. You might not feel like you can dance at all because you're in a valley. But remember, our God takes those who humble themselves before him And he lifts them up. He exalts them higher and higher and higher than we can ever imagine. 
until we can find comfort in this, that one day we will return to that mountaintop experience with God. And maybe you're already there. Just enjoy it. Enjoy the season. God will one day lift up all who trust in him to the highest peaks to dance like a deer on the high places. Our Redeemer invites us to come and dance. The dance of redemption is tragic yet joyful, humbles yet exalts. Number three, the dance of redemption wounds yet redeems. The dance of redemption wounds yet redeems. So I want to talk about Jesus. Because if we try to dance this life alone, if we, if we solo it all the way through doing things our way and, 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 and kind of heading our own direction, we will fall short of the glory God intends. See, uh, Romans talks about us all falling short of God's glory. But there's also something to be said of us experiencing in that glory as, as we live life the way he intends, as we follow him, as we take the as we take his hand and let him lead us, there is glory in that as he brings us low and he lifts us up. I'm not saying that you're not a good person. Much of the time, you know, we can be good and kind. And we are. But we always fall short. We always stumble and fall like someone who has two left feet. At least I do. I hurt those I love. I hurt those I care about. I hurt my friends. I hurt my family. I hurt my church. We need someone to lead us. We need Jesus to lead us. This ballerina, Corinna, said that she has seen, in her own experience, she has seen a tiny dancer fill the stage just standing there. A tiny dancer just standing on the stage, filling it with glory. That's a beautiful that reminds me why we relate, our relationship with God. And what has God done? He, he is the God who humbled himself. He did it all first. God humbled himself. He stepped out of glory, out of, out of, out of heaven and into our world, into a place that needed redemption. He stepped out onto the dance floor and into the spotlight. See, our Redeemer has come, and he has come in the silhouette of his son, Christ Jesus. The Father has sent His Son, who is God, and this Son houses the greatest glory in a frail human body. And the spotlight shines on the Son, and as the spotlight of the world and of God's gaze looks at the Son, it finds Him spotless, perfect. His pose is regal. He's the dancer who holds everyone's attention on the stage, and his head is held high. He fills that stage. All eyes are on him, and he begins to dance, begins to leap, he begins to soar, strong and sure. His life, the life of Jesus, the life of Christ, is sinless. It is perfect. It is spotless. He never stumbles. He has a left foot and a right foot, and he can dance. And yet another figure is in the shadows on that stage, waging war. This figure is in the darkness. This is one dressed in all black. This figure is seen in the world's brokenness, but unseen in the world's eyes. The devil rages, the devil roars, but Jesus keeps dancing. Jesus is good 
and strong and sure and holy. He never misses a beat. Always holy, always good. The dance of Christ is a dance of sacrifice and giving himself up for good, giving himself up to the Father and giving himself up for others. So the dance of Christ is a dance of vulnerability and suffering. He puts all of his vulnerability and suffering into his art. He sacrifices himself unto death so that we might join him in life. By the wounds of Jesus, we are healed. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus redeems our darkness, our scars, our brokenness. He heals them through his own sacrifice by washing us in his blood by giving up his own body so that one day you and I can step onto the dance floor and into the spotlight and be found completely spotless, to be found completely pure, to be found completely holy. Because if we were to step into that spotlight right now before God's eyes, before God's gaze and the accuser in the background and the darkness shouting what we have done wrong, and apart from Jesus, we would fall. We would be like that dancer that breaks away. And here we find a different dancer coming, a savior, a redeemer, the principal dancer, the very best of dancers coming and giving his life. The curtain closes and it remains closed for three days. He is in the tomb. He is dead. But he doesn't stay that way. See, the, the curtain opens once again, and he takes a bow because he has paid the ultimate price. He has given his life so that we might live so that any who repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ, our principal dancer, our king, our hero, will receive eternal life and will dance anew. Jesus has the strongest love, the, 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 brightest, the brightest strength, the oldest power. He is good and he is kind. So the question is, will you recognize him? Will you recognize Jesus? I don't know where you're at. I can't see you. But Jesus can. And Jesus is present, and he's extending his hand and saying, will you take my hand? Will you let me lead you through this life? I want to lead you. I am good. Come and trust me. Come and dance with me. If your heart is wounded with your sin, just admit it. Say, Jesus, my heart is wounded with my sin. I see my sin. It overwhelms me, and I need you to forgive me. Would you forgive me, Jesus? Would you take my hand, and would you lead me? Would you dance with me so that I can be in relationship with you and so that I can be in relationship with my Heavenly Father through you? The dance of redemption is tragic yet joyful. It humbles yet it exalts. It wounds yet it redeems. Our Redeemer invites us to come and dance Will you take his hand? That's the big question. Will you take the hand of your Redeemer of Christ Jesus? I want to close by going back to the ballet Giselle, to Act 2. See, Giselle is dead. That's how Act 2 opens. She is dead. She died of a broken heart. And that huntsman, he comes to visit her grave at night, and it is a mistake. 
He comes to her tombstone. He's grief-stricken. He's guilty. But remember the Willis, those vengeful spirits of maidens that have died with broken hearts. They come dancing out of the woods. They are wronged and they are out for, to, to, to take what they uh, that belongs to them. They died with unfulfilled love beating in their hearts and they take it out on him. For his sins, the huntsman Hilarion is sentenced to death by the queen of the Willis and he perishes exhausted he dies. He has to dance until he has nothing left. And that's exactly what happens. And next comes the Count, Count Albrecht. He comes to Giselle's tomb. He is dismayed. He is sorrowful. Maybe he's even repentant. And his love led to her death. But out of the grave comes Giselle. She rises as a Willis with a veil over her. But also the queen of the Willis comes. She comes to rain vengeance and judgment down on Count Elbrick. She comes to take what belongs to her. The queen captures Albrick, and Giselle begs for mercy, stretching her arms wide over him to protect him, even in the shape of a cross. Well, the queen condemns him to dance until he dies, but Albrick does not dance alone. He dances with Giselle. See, Giselle, the frail of heart, is the Christ figure. She rescues Albrecht by dancing with him through the night. He can't dance alone. He needs a savior. He needs a partner. He needs Giselle. When he collapses and cannot dance any longer, when death is near, she raises him up, and they, they go to heights that they could have never done alone. Together they dance until the morning rises, till the sun shines, breaking the queen's curse. Giselle descends back into her grave. Now, Albrecht, for a moment, he lays his hands on her tombstone. And her tombstone is in the shape of a cross. See, Giselle is the Christ figure. She is the hero. She is the one with the frail heart who lays down her life for the one she loves. And that's Jesus. Jesus gave up his life for us. Jesus sacrificed himself so that you and I can live, so that you and I can dance with God and be in relationship with him, so that he can lead us. Our Redeemer invites us to come and dance, and so the question is, will you take his hand? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for dance. Thank you for ballet. Thank you for Christ Jesus. Thank you for our Heavenly Father. Thank you for you. Thank you that we can be in relationship with you through your Son, Jesus, Lord. And if there's anyone that's listening, that's watching, that's participating, that doesn't know you, Lord, would you just open up their hearts to know Jesus and to be transformed by him? This isn't something we just assent to. This is truly letting you lead us, Father. Would you do that? We know that you are good and you are kind. Lord, we, we, we ask that our sins would wound our hearts so that we can know Jesus and be completely dependent on him. Uh, I pray that you would bless us as we go out into our day, Lord. Bless our, our time with our moms, whether it's in person or on Zoom or Skype or, or whatever, Lord. 
Will we get to spend some time with them and appreciate them, Lord? Would the, the message of Christ Jesus, uh, being our Giselle, being the true Giselle, would it change us? Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.